maybe around the world, there, there are just thousands of churches having this focus of getting back to church and inviting people to church and, and, and being in church and making it a regular part of our, of our lives, to just be gathering with God's people in what the Bible defines as the church. And so in switching gears, I kind of want to begin with a little group activity. Um, so we're, we need to get in teams. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, when you think of church, what things come to mind? Worship. What's that? Togetherness. Fellowship. Holy ground. Teaching. Jesus. Hey, that's, that's a good one. God. Bible. <laughs> food. Some say food. That's a Southern Baptist for you right there. Prayer. Prayer. Music. Music. Family. Family. All right. People. Yeah. What'd you say? Hugs. Hugs. Okay. <laughs> I thought he said ubs. I was like, what are ubs? <laughs> so a lot of y'all know, um, I, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. And so growing up in that sort of family, you know, if it was Sunday, Wednesday night, vacation Bible school time, any sort of time, you were at church. Um, and so what we may not know is I, I have gone through stages in my life in my relationship with church and what the church is. I mean, as a kid, it was one of those things that, well, it's Sunday, and so you, you go to church. Um, as I became a teenager, it became one of those things that you were drugged to church. Um, when I got into college, church became optional. Um, I could go if I wanted to, and, um, and when I did go, <clears throat> even though my life wasn't reflecting Jesus Christ at all, I could play church. I could do the things you're supposed to do at church so everyone thinks everything's good with you. Um, and then, of course, God called me in the ministry, and so, you know, I had to be at church again. <laughs> but I wanted to be. But there was a time even in ministry uh, when our kids were young. Abby had just turned one years old. Uh, we were um, hurt by the church. Uh, not I was at a place I didn't want anything to do with the church. Uh, I, I was heartbroken. I was wrestling with a lot of emotions and anger. And, uh, and so church was something we went to, um, but it wasn't, I wasn't really engaged in it. Um, I didn't really, you know, we weren't a part of a church. We attended. Um, and, and then as I've grown in, in my relationship with God, and, I've, and obviously I'm in the ministry as a pastor, coming to understand the importance of church, that it has to be more than just something we do on Sunday. It has to be more than gathering on Wednesdays or, or putting on activities or having a worship time. And what the Bible defines as church, and that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. What is church? What is this? Um, because we've been in church, we've been gathered as the church for 23 minutes, for some of y'all 10 minutes, because you know, you're on Harvest Hill time at times, but anyway, um, how does the Bible define a church? So we're going we're gonna to answer this question two ways, by asking two other questions. What is the foundation of the church? What is the church built upon? 
What do we have to be about as we gather as the church? Because the church is not a building, it's not an address. So what is our foundation we have to stay upon in order for us to be the biblical church? And then the second question we're going to ask this morning is, what is church ultimately about? So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 16 um, with the first question, what is the foundation of the church? And so in Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 13, Jesus is with his disciples and he's, he, he has this discussion, this question he wants to ask them. And the question he asks, uh, paraphrase, is, uh, what are people saying about me? What have you heard is the word on the street about who I am? And so uh, the disciples started rattling off the answers. Well, we've heard people talk about you being the prophet or John the Baptist or Elijah. And so then Jesus changes the focus of the question. What do you say about me? And this is the most significant question we can answer personally about Jesus Christ. Not what does other other people say about him, not what do other people think about him or think about God or even think about the church. What do you say? Not what does your parents say, your mom or dad, your boyfriend, girlfriend, or the girl or boy you're here because you like. Where are you with Christ? How do you identify him? And so Peter, in the midst of this, decides he's going to speak up, and this is going to be our main focus verse to answer our first question, what is the foundation of the church? In verse 16, Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And to this response that Peter gives to Jesus, Jesus commends Peter. Um, Very shortly, he's going to reprimand Peter, but at this point, he commends him. And from the statement that Peter gives, Jesus says in verse 18, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And that's the very first time the word church is used in the New Testament, right there. And so Jesus is telling Peter something very significant about the church that we've got to understand. And because this verse is taken out of context in some other Christian traditions, we need to understand what Jesus is saying when it comes to what is the church. The name Peter in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, that's the original language of the New Testament, it's Greek, it wasn't wasn't English. The, The original language was Greek, and the name Peter is a play on words with the word rock in Greek. Peter is the word Petros. Rock in Greek is the word Petra. So if you were a fan of the Petra band in the 80s, then that's what that meant. Yes, so I heard a yes. I think that was you, Brian. They were rocking it out. Um, anyway, so this is significant when it comes to Petra, which is what the word rock means in verse 16. It is, isn't referring to Peter. Instead, it's referring to the rock or the foundation of what the church is, and that is what Peter said concerning the identity of Jesus Christ. And so in Peter's statement about who he understood Jesus Christ to be, Christ responds to Peter, and we learn the foundation of the church. And the very first thing we see about the foundation of the church is the church is founded on the Word of God. We're told that Jesus was the Word which became flesh and dwelt among us. It's from Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14. And Peter understood that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus reveals to Peter that this was a good answer, but Peter didn't have this understanding on his own. Instead, God revealed this to Peter so he could understand the identity of Christ. Now, the title Christ means anointed one. And so the title is referring to Jesus being the Messiah spoken of by the Scriptures. And so Peter understood who Jesus was because he understood the Scriptures and what we refer to as the Old Testament. 
He understood who Jesus was because it was the word of God that opened his eyes and his heart to be able to understand that. The church has to be about the word of God. It has to be about learning the Word of God. It has to be about knowing the Word of God, applying the Word of God, and living the Word of God. You are not to come to church or go to church to be entertained. You are not, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not a very entertaining person, okay? You, you do not come here to hear silly jokes or silly stories from the pastor. You come here to be immersed in the Word of God, to grow in your understanding of the Word of God, because it is the Word of God which equips you, God's people, to do the work of the church. And so we come here not because of a band, and we don't go places like conferences because of certain things. We go, and we should go with the intention, I want to hear the Word of God pouring over me. So here's the thing. You may watch church on TV or listen to preachers on TV or through podcasts or conferences, but if a preacher does not open God's Word and explain God's Word to the people present, you have not gone to church. You've been entertained. And if a preacher or speaker decides to take the Word of God and twist it to their own use and techniques, and it's not actually in the context of what the Word of God is saying, you've not gone to church. You've experienced a false teacher. And so we come here, you are here, or you should be here, or from now on you will be here <laughs> for the Word of God. It is the only truth in this world. And so we gather to open God's Word and to be faithful to it, to allow it to change us and transform us. Another thing we see just by Peter's simple statement about who Jesus Christ is, the church is founded on the understanding of salvation. You see, Jesus can only be the Christ if people need saving. The word Christ means anointed one, but it also saying that Jesus is the Savior. So in John chapter 4, Jesus is going through an area of Samaria. We looked at this several months ago in our, in our current series. And he comes across this woman that's at the well in the middle of the day, and they have this interesting theological conversation that leads to talking about worship. Well, eventually the woman understands who Jesus Christ is, that he is a prophet, but he is also the Savior. So she goes back to her town where everyone is outcasted. Everyone has put her out. They don't have anything to do with her. They know her reputation. They know her lifestyle. And she says, there is a man at the well who told me everything that I have ever done. Could this be the Christ? And she began to testify about Jesus being the Savior. So the people came out to the well, and they had an inter interaction with Jesus Christ, which led him to stay in the area for a while. And they came to this conclusion after being with Christ. He is indeed the Savior of the world. That was their testimony. See, the reason we go to church, the reason we make up the church, and the church, again, is not a building. The church is not an address. The church is the gathering of God's people in the presence of God to hear God speak over their heart. And the reason we do this is so we can present the good news, what we can refer to as the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are here to hear God's good news for us, that he saved us, he loved us, he died for us. He rose again for us that we could be completely forgiven. And as a church, this is all we are to proclaim. We need a Savior because the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Church is about salvation. We come to church and we find salvation. But while we're in church, we grow in our understanding of salvation. Why? 
Not so we can have more knowledge, but so when we go out into the world that God has commissioned us to be in, we can share with people this salvation that is so good to us. And they can accept it for themselves. This place, church, is not a place to have activities for activity's sake. We're not a place where we want to fill the counter. And I know we got really excited. We started putting things back on the counter after the you know, lockdown phase. And we decided we're just going to go for it. But the reason we have worship, the reason we have Wednesday Night Live, the reason we have Vacation Bible School, the reason we have small groups is to make sure that everyone in attendance has the opportunity to be saved. That's our goal. That's our goal. We want people to be saved, and it should be our heart's desire individually that people in our lives be saved. So the heart of the church is that when people come here, they can be saved. And the only way people can be saved is through the Word of God and through Jesus Christ. We also see just from Peter's statement that the church is founded on the love of God. When we come to church, we should experience God's love in worship, in teaching, in his word, in the gathering of his people. Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, for this reason. God loves you. That's why Jesus was the Christ. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose again. Why? Because God declared through eternity that he loves you. He knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden in your life, nothing that you're ashamed of that he's not aware of. And in the midst of all your shame, in the midst of your sin, you know what God says? Still love you. Still love you. Still know you. At Harvest Hill, our purpose here is to love God, love people. And this has to be the driving force in everything we do. Because if we're not declaring the love of God, if we're not showing the love of God, living in the love of God, worshiping because of the love of God, then we aren't the church. We're just making noise. A meaningless gong. Church is also founded on a relationship with God. This should make sense. Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, so that we could have a relationship with Him. Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, verse 18, came to make God known. So the church is about a gathering of God's people. What makes us God's people is that we've been reconciled back to God. The word reconciled in Scripture means that we've been brought back in harmony. We've been restored. We've been brought into a relationship with God. And there's a purpose for that. We now are in a relationship with God. And what God does through His Word in 2 Corinthians, He has now made us ministers of reconciliation. Every individual who belongs to God, if you're a, a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, you are now a minister of reconciliation. Reconcile means to meaning of harmony. I mean, we've been brought back into harmony with God through a relationship through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And now what God says is you are now to speak, preach, present to other people that they too can be reconciled to God and be brought back into a relationship with him. In Christ, we have been reconciled to God, brought back into a relationship with him for the purpose of preaching the message that we have accepted so that other people can accept it as well. This is much about our salvation. This is our sanctification, another good Bible word. Sanctification means to be set apart. And if you read from Genesis to Revelation, you see that God's desire for his people and definitely his church is that it would be set apart and different from this world. And the only way we do that is if we grow in our relationship with him, our understanding of him through his word and the understanding of the Holy Spirit working inside of us, he sets us apart for holiness. 
The church is not supposed to be like things of this world. When I was in youth ministry, it drove me insane when I would see these youth pastors have these massive youth groups, and all they did was entertain them. They would play games for hours. They have music blaring. They would go to concerts, and I would think, man, I wish I could have a huge group like that. But the problem was they entertained them so much. When they graduated from high school, you know what they went to college looking for? Entertainment. And where could they find entertainment in college? Fraternities and sororities. We're here to grow in this relationship with God. It means we have to be in the Word of God. And when we come to church, you right now being here at church, making the church, you are declaring to the world, you understand that God has set you apart and you are longing to continue to grow in that relationship with God. The Bible commands us in Hebrews chapter 10 to not neglect to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, just through Peter's statement, we see the church is founded on the authority of God. When Peter said that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, he was revealing Jesus' authority. For Jesus to be the Son of God meant that he was of the same character, the same nature. To be the living God meant that God was not dead. He was not an idol. He was not made by man. He is the eternal God. The word God is, the, is synonymous with the God of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In Hebrew, it's Elohim. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And since God created all things, therefore he owns all things and knows how all things are to work. So when we come to church, we are declaring our submission to the authority of who God is. It's not about us. So if we come to church with our intentions and our desires and our wants, I was joking with Nick earlier, man, uh, we need to do some more hymns earlier. It's not about what I want. I want to be in God's presence, period. I want to be in his word, period. So I come here and I submit to God. This is why attending church regularly is actually a huge testimony of yours to the world. Because if we make church an option, then we're declaring to the world that submitting to God is also an option. It states our allegiance to him. It states that God has rule over our life. Back to this play on words between Peter and rock. Petra is the feminine in Greek. It's what stands for the word rock there in, in verse 16. Uh, if you're familiar with Spanish, you know, uh, masculine and feminine words. So O means a masculine, A means a feminine. Well, Greek does the same thing, in that it changes according to the masculine and the feminine. So Peter was a man, so he wasn't Petra, because Petra's feminine. And so the rock of the church is feminine because the church is founded as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul uses this analogy to represent the church acting as a wife who submits to her husband, who is Christ. And so the analogy is the church submits to their husband, who is Christ. And always speaks of Christ's authority and our submission to him. But as Christ's bride, the church, we are therefore helpers of Christ. That was what the wife was given to do in Genesis, to be the helper of the man. 
And so as the church, we are the helper of Christ. We aid our husband, Jesus Christ, in continuing the mission that he began by continuing to preach and present the gospel. The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So here's the thing. You cannot say, well, I like God. I like Jesus. The Bible's pretty cool, and I really like Christian music but I cannot stand the church. You can't do it. If you came to me, and husbands, I hope you will agree. If someone came to you and said, man, I really like you, but your wife drives me nuts. How would we take it? Right hand of fellowship, right? <laughs> so when we declare we can't stand the church. We're telling Jesus we can't stand his bride. And I understand the church has done some bad things. I've been there. I've done that. I've been on staff through it. But to be at and attend and belong to church is to state that we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field and we are God's building. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. This is why we faithfully attend church. That's why your faithful attendance to church is important. I understand there's going to be times you go on vacation. I understand there's times you're going to be sick. You're going to be sick. I may be sick. There's going to be times you may get quarantined. There may be times that uh, you just can't get out of bed for whatever reason. But as God's people, we are called to be faithful to God's bride. And we become equipped to aid Christ in carrying out his mission. And so when we gather as the church... We see that there is strength in numbers to carry out the mission that God has given us. Final thing the church is founded on, just in this one verse, or moving to uh, 1 Corinthians, sorry. The church is founded on being the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually many members of it. So what does that mean? When we gather as a church, we are now the physical representation of Jesus Christ to the world. And when the world sees believers gathering together, whether it's in a building or just out in public, like we did yesterday during Route 66 days, they're to see us gathering as the body to represent Christ. That's what we're supposed to be about as a church. So, moving to Acts now, Acts chapter 2. Ethan made fun of me this morning. He's like, wow, you got a 12-point sermon. I, I promise we'll get through these quick. <laughs> What is the church about? We're going to look in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. Okay, so a little context. In Acts chapter 2, what's happening? Well, at this point in time, those who have been following Jesus now understand what Peter said in Matthew chapter 16. They understand that why he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because in Acts chapter 2, Jesus Christ has already been crucified. He's already been put in a tomb. He's already resurrected. He's already been seen by hundreds of witnesses. And he has already ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so... Not just Peter now, but everyone understood, yep, that's Christ. <laughs> that's the Son of the living God. But Jesus isn't there anymore, and he gave him strict instructions to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes upon you. And so in Acts chapter 2, that's exactly what's happening. The foundation has been laid, it has been accepted, and now the believers are waiting for what happens next. 
And so in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers and gives them the ability to preach the Word of God so people could understand it, to preach the gospel, the good news of Christ, to the world. And as they began preaching the Word of God, the people in Jerusalem began to gather because there's a kind of a commotion going on, and so it drew some attention. And so they began to wonder what was happening and trying to figure out what's going on with these people who had now been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter stands up. In verse 14, and he delivers what is the first evangelical message from the church. And it's actually humorous how this came about because as people began gathering and looking at the church, trying to understand what's going on with the church, the only thing the people of the world could conclude about the church and when they gathered is that they must be drunk. Oh, if the world would think that way of us today, right? We're so crazy, they can't understand it, so they try to rationalize it through a worldly means. And so for Peter to deliver the message of Christ, he first has to deliver understanding what has happened. Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That means it's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early to be drunk. And then he goes on to deliver the message. And we don't have time to read through verse 16 through 36. If you'd like to do that this afternoon, I encourage you to do that. But to summarize, what Peter does is he pulls from the Old Testament to preach and present Jesus Christ to the crowds. And the reason he does that is because the crowd was Jewish. In Acts chapter 2, what happened is the festival of Pentecost is going on. See, Jesus Christ died at the festival of Passover. So about seven weeks between Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead and the Holy Spirit coming. And Peter is presenting what happened in those last seven weeks through the Old Testament because the Word of God points to Jesus. And this crowd would have been familiar with the words that Peter was using. Matter of fact, most of them were probably in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified and heard about his resurrection. Because in these days, to be a Jewish individual, you would travel to Jerusalem and you would stay in Jerusalem for those seven weeks because traveling was not as safe. It wasn't as easy. And so you would hang out. So everything Peter's doing is like, all right, you, you experience these events and this is what it means through the word of God. And then he presents Jesus. And what Peter does through the message reveals what the church is about. And So we're going to use church as an acronym. The church is about Christ. Amen. All right, good. Uh, The church is about Christ. Without Jesus, there's no church. Okay? Without Jesus Christ, there's no church. You can place the title church on something, but church is not church unless it presents and preaches Jesus Christ. We saw this in the foundation. Scripture defines the church as being attached to Christ, to preach Christ, and be in Christ. And so if you see a church as a building, or a church as something you can do on the weekend, on a Sunday or some other day, and something that's really not that important to be a part of when God's people gather, you're missing the point of church. It's to be with Jesus. Is be with people who have Jesus. So we gather in the name of Christ. Get this. When we gather here, you're just not in your own assigned seat, and you all do it. You know you do. You are gathered here in the name of Jesus Christ and 
in the presence of Jesus Christ. So you're not just in a chair. You're not just in a room. You're not just in a building in Stratford, Missouri. You are in the presence of the Holy of Holies when you gather with God's people to form the church. So yeah, let's go to church and let's do it more often, right? Let's be in God's presence. Let's represent God's question. And this is why when believers skip church or make church optional, it baffles people who are at church. Because why would you not want to gather in the name of Jesus Christ? And why would you not want to be in his presence with your eternal family and make up the church? There's something wrong in the heart for an individual who looks at church and says, no, thank you. If they say they're a believer. There's something wrong there. There's something sick. We get to come to church be in the presence of God, be with our eternal family, and be found in the name of Christ. Throughout the book of Acts, the church is founded on remembering, preaching, and living in the work of Christ. And we're told in Scripture in Colossians chapter 1 that Christ is the head of the church. So it is, the church is about Christ, and the head directs the body. You ever try to go anywhere without your head? You can't. It doesn't work. If your body moves and your head doesn't, you're dead, right? The same thing goes for the church. If we try to do anything apart from Christ, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide in me. Remain in me. Dwell in me. This also means that Christ is the boss. He's the one that directs and leads. I may have the title as pastor. Mike and Charlie may have titles as elders, but we're not in charge. We're simply shepherds who are following the good shepherd. And so we're following what he tells us to do, where he directs us to go. And so when we come to church, if it's about Christ, then that's all it's about. And so it doesn't matter what sort of musicians are up here. It doesn't matter what sort of song is being sung. It doesn't matter what passage of Scripture. It doesn't matter if the pastor is wearing a suit and tie or is wearing a polo or jeans or whatever. If it's pointing to Christ and we come for Christ, then we should be filled with Christ. So I can worship Christ through any song, any type of music, any type of instrument, as long as it's pointing to Him and it's about Him. We learn here to live under God and Christ's authority so we can do it out in the world. And so if the church is not Christ-centered and focused on Christ, and Christ is not the boss, then we fail to be the church. Christ is the focus of Peter's message here in Acts chapter 2 because it's the focus of the church. Again, we don't have time to unwrap everything that Peter does. Again, read it later this afternoon. But what do we know about Peter? not a rhetorical question. Brash? Brash? <laughs> Did someone say flat-headed? Hot-headed. hot-headed. <laughs> I don't know if he had a flat top. I don't know. But <laughs> He's hot-headed. Compulsive? Yeah, that'd probably work. Someone say fun? Did I hear fun? Yeah, he's, 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 yeah he, he, he definitely is entertaining. One moment in Matthew chapter 16, Peter is declaring who Christ is. The very next moment, moment he's telling Jesus, oh, you're wrong. <laughs> I know I just said you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, but, you know, now you're wrong. 
And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) I'm leading here, not you. Peter, at one time in his life, denies Christ. Even though he looked Christ in the eye and said, I will never deny you. Within 12 hours, he did it. Three different times. Peter steps out of a boat, but then he sinks like a rock, which should have been the evidence that he was not the rock in Matthew 16, right? He wrestled with understanding who Christ is. He was scared when three people, three people said, hey, weren't you with him? Didn't you belong to him? Aren't you a Galilean like him? Three people in the dark. He was scared of them. But here in Acts chapter 2 and then in Acts chapter 4, what we see, Peter is preaching to a multitude of Jewish people about who Jesus Christ is. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is brought before a Jewish council, a council that could imprison him and stone him, and he presents and declares Christ. So what happened to Peter? Where did he go from being so timid and brash and hot-headed to a place where he is so bold that he doesn't care what happens to him? What's the second thing the church is about? The church is about the Holy Spirit. Peter had been infused with power. And so Peter's boldness and knowledge came from the Spirit and the church's boldness in this world. It comes from the knowledge and discerning of the Word of God, which comes through the Holy Spirit of God, so we can know what we are to do as a church, as God's people set apart by God. And so we submit to Christ, and we're empowered by the Spirit so we can preach Christ with boldness. And where Christ and Spirit dwell, we see the third thing about the church, unity. Just hear the descriptions of the church in Acts 2 and chapter, chapter 2 and chapter 4. Acts 2, verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Acts 2, verse 46, day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. You see that? They didn't just go to church on Sundays or Wednesdays. It was day by day. Acts 4.32 says the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Acts chapter 4, verse 34 and 35, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The church was unified with one another, and they were unified in their ministry to one another and to the world. The church saw every act, every ministry, every part, every role within the church as their own. And so it's not about what Pastor Mike can do. I can't do anything (laughs) without the Holy Spirit. And it's not about what a certain group of people at the church can do. It's us all working together in unity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim him. So when a believer belongs to a church but does not attend, it actually weakens what the church is called to do. You know, if, you don't, if you're not here on a Sunday, I just want to let you know, if no one ever tells you, you are missed, right? You may lose your seat next week, but, <laughs> but you are missed. You're missed by us individually, but you're also missed by the church because as a church, we cannot do what we've been called to do, commanded to do, unless all of God's people and what make up this body are here. We'll be unhealthy. All of our parts have to be involved. 
You know, the opposite of being united is to be divided. And to be divided becomes dysfunctional because it forgets about the foundation, forgets what it's about. It forgets about focusing on Jesus. It forgets to allow Jesus to lead. It forgets about relying upon the Holy Spirit and instead it turns to desires of the flesh. At Galatians chapter 5, Paul lays out the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh are all about me, all about what I want, not about what God wants. And there's been too many churches that have shut their doors because they pursued after the desires of the flesh. And there have been too many people who have been pushed away from Christ because the church was more focused on itself than on them and on Christ. It's not about us. It's not even about Harvest Hill. It's about proclaiming Christ and being unified in that effort, working together. In church, our desire is to be God. Jesus' prayer was us to have unity. His final prayer before he'd be arrested and crucified, John chapter 17. He says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. We cannot be unified unless we're actually together physically. And so I know you know people who have not been back since things went locked down. Reach out to them. Let them know they're missed. Let them know you, you, you kept their seat saved. <laughs> Go pick them up. Studies out say that 30% of the church never returned. 30% of the church never returned. And I think that's because people forgot what the church is to be about. We also see that the church was religious. Now, when I think of the word religious, I think of like legalism, like, you know, stuff you do or don't do and the list you can make. And, and, and sometimes that can be attached to legalism. But here's the thing. If you were to say someone religiously does something, they religiously play football. They religiously work out. They religiously diet. They religiously sleep. <laughs> what are you saying about that person? All the time, without fail. So that's what we mean by religious. We mean that we're all in. We're all in with Christ. We're all in with the church. We're committed. We're devoted. Again, the church met day by day. It was continuous. And you look through Acts chapter 2 and, and read through Acts chapter 4, you see the origin of the church was continuously generous. They were continuously thankful. They were continuously praising God. They were continuously having new converts. They were continuously sharing their testimony. They were continuously preaching the gospel. And they were continuously taking care of the needy. They were religious about church. They were all in. They wanted to be with the brotherhood and the sisterhood and the believers. That's where they felt they belonged the most. And so here's the thing. If Harvest Hill is where God has called you to be, you need to be all in. I'm not saying you need to be involved in all things, but if this is where God has planted you, then you need to be involved in something. Otherwise, we cannot function as a healthy church. So you got to find, where, God, do you want me to be? This is where you've placed me. Now where do you want me to be involved in this body working together? 
Not only was church religious, the church was caring. The church cared about each other. They cared about people who had needs. They cared about the widows. They cared about the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. They cared about those people that got a place in their life. They cared about people not in church. They cared. (laughs) They were loving people. And by caring for one another, by loving one another, by loving people that God had placed in them, they showed the world that they belonged to Christ. Here's the thing. If a church is not caring, it's because the people in the church only care about themselves. We can't be that type of church. We have to be a church that reaches out to the world and lets them know that we care about their eternal destination. We care whether or not they're going to heaven or hell. So we're going to go out and we're going to love them with the gospel. And I know many people have been at churches where they have not experienced a caring church. Been there. Short story. Y'all didn't hunger. I I can smell the food from up here, so I can't imagine what back row's like. Um, Short story. On staff at a church. I'll leave the name out, town out. Walk into... The foyer, the opening. And a gentleman looks at another gentleman, leave their name out. <laughs> he said, If I ever see you here again, I'll shoot you. These were supposedly two brothers in Christ. The one threatening to shoot the other was a deacon at the church. Later that afternoon, Jamie can testify, we actually had a gentleman come to our house. We were staying in a parsonage, which if you live in a parsonage for church, it's usually right across the church so everyone can find you whenever they want to. An individual comes to our house and asks us, do you own a gun? No. You might want to think about getting one. That was the advice for someone on staff at this church. And I know there are people here, you have horror stories of a church. And you're still here. Because the church is about caring. We walk through things together. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. And if we ever lose sight about caring, ever lose sight about Christ, then we no longer are the church Biblically. Final thing. Finish your acronym. (laughs) The church is about holism. Holism means every part plays a part in the greater function. So Christ is the head. We are the body. And so you are here and to be a part of this church because Christ, God, is commissioning you to play a role in this church. We cannot be healthy unless every member is functioning. Every member is working. And you know what God did to the first church when they understood this is what it was about and then remained on the foundation? Acts 2.47, And the Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved. When the church stays on the foundation, when the church remains about what it's about, We'll see Scripture come to life through the church. If you're visiting this morning, I see a lot of new faces, faces I haven't seen in a while. 
and you've been hurt by the church, I want to say as a pastor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It is heartbreaking. We also have to remember that the church is made up of sinful people representing a perfect God. And so sometimes the church makes mistakes. But if you're looking for a church family, man, being in the ministry for over 20 years, I can tell you I've never been in a church like Harvest Hill. And I mean that in a good way. (laughs) People here care. People here love seeing other people's faces. If you're visiting, I'm guessing you weren't able to sit down with at least least a couple people coming up to you and saying hi. And you're probably not going to get out the door without a couple people saying hi or asking your name, telling you to stay for lunch. We're not a perfect church. I'm not a perfect pastor. But we're pursuing after Christ so we can continue to proclaim Christ. And so if you've been hurt but you're looking for a church, I really want you to pray about being a part of what God's doing here at Harvest Hill. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's fun. But if you already have a church family, then go be the church there. God does not retire us from being the church until he calls us home. Okay? So let's be involved. Let's be the church. This also begins individually. It begins with the question, do you belong to Christ? Here's something I want to clarify real quick. The question is not, do you belong to a church? It's not, are you a member at a church? Do you belong to Christ? Because there are going to be people on church rosters they are going to be very surprised when they see their Savior face to face and He's going to say, I never knew you. Do you belong to Him? Meaning, do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? The message of the church is repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 4 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, uh, given among men, by which we must be saved. I mean, I could be found at Harvest Hill, but still not be found in Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you're not sure if you're saved, that's what we're really talking about here. And you're just uncertain. I don't, I don't know if I've been saved or not. I mean, I go to church. We're going to have a time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I, I want to be saved. I want to be in Christ. The Bible says really it begins by admitting you're a sinner. You fall short. You do things you're not proud of. But you believe God loves you They sent Jesus Christ to die for your sin, to pay your costs, and then he rose again. The Bible says when you believe it in your heart, you confess with your mouth. You make it public. That's why I'm inviting you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. We'll rejoice. We'll pray together. But maybe you're here, and you've been coming to Harvest Hill for a while, but you haven't declared that this is where God wants you to be, and so you haven't made this your church home. We call it membership. It doesn't come with any perks, and we don't charge you any fees, but that's what we call it. But maybe you need to say, you know, this is where God wants me to be. I want to let it be known to the church family that I want to belong to this family here and be a part of what God's doing at Harvest Hill. And you just need to make that decision. You make that, that known. So if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come down. So Pastor Mike, I, I, I want to make people know that this is where I want to be. This is my church family. As you can see, Bridget and Nick are coming. 
without even being asked. It's all good. I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. We're going to stand. We're going to sing here in a second. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your body, to be connected to your bride, to have that intimate relationship with you through the church. Thank you that you've given us your word and your spirit, allowing us to be in your presence, that we may lift you up and glorify you. And Lord, I thank you that it's not the building that makes this church. It's us gathering together. And so as we go out in this world together, let us continue to be the church and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But if there's someone here this morning and they're unsure about their salvation, they don't know if they've, if they've made that commitment or even made that commitment known, I pray you give them the courage, the conviction through the Spirit to come down and have their eternal destiny secured. Lord, if there's people here who call Harvest Hill their home but have yet to make it an official thing that this is their church family, Lord, give them the, the conviction to come down and, and just to, to solidify it. Say they're submitting to your authority and being a part of this church, and they want this church family to know it. We give this time to you that we not be just hearers of your word but doers. We praise all in the name of Jesus Christ our living Savior, the living God. Amen.